This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. So come with me, please, to Luke chapter 23. chapter 23 and at this point just reading one verse verse 46 and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice he said father into your hands I commit my spirit having said this he breathed his last father into your hands I commit my spirit. For those of you who are visiting with us this morning, we are coming to the end of a short series that we've been uh, doing regarding Christ's last words from the cross. Seven words he spoke from the cross are statements. Some of them were prayers. And so this morning we come to the very last one that he spoke from the cross. The cross is the place where the serpent's head was bruised. Well, the Lamb of God was slain. Well, the host of hell assailed. Well, the Father's heart travailed. And the Son prevailed. And his blood still avails, thank God. So let our hearts and our minds focus on this last statement that Christ spoke from the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Those six agonizing hours on the cross have come to an end. His great work of salvation was completed, accomplished, and finished. The three hours of silence and darkness is gone. And after that, he cried, I thirst to fulfill all scripture. And tetelestire, it is finished to let us all know that the work on the cross completed salvation. And the earth shook, and graves were opened, and the veil in the temple was rent in two from top to bottom, signifying that now the way into the holiest of holies was open for us, that we no longer needed a priest to offer a sacrifice or to make intercession for us, because now Christ is our great high priest, and he is our intercessor, and he is our mediator. And so the priesthood was finished. And all those rituals of the law and the feast days and circumcision, animal sacrifices, all of them have been now completed and fulfilled in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of those were just types and shadows of the one who was to come. All that the prophets have spoken about for that last hour has now been fulfilled. And so now he's ready to present himself to the Father as the victorious one. And so he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father. The very first word he spoke from the cross was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The last word he speaks from the cross is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The middle word he spoke from the cross was, my God, my God, 
why have you forsaken me? At that moment, when the Father had to turn his back away from him, because at that moment he became our sin offering. He was made sin for us. But now that's over. And now he's calling him Father again, as he always had done. Even from a boy of 12 years old, you remember in the temple, when Mary and Joseph come back after three days, they'd lost him and they found him in the temple talking to those scribes and Pharisees, the learned men, asking them questions and answering their questions. And so, he loved to call him Father. This was a victorious word. The work was finished. Now he was entering into, as it were, entering into his rest. In the creation story in Genesis, God rested on the seventh day after the work was complete. And now Christ, as it were, is entering into his rest on the seventh word after his work on earth has been complete. He cried with a loud voice, the gospel writers say. He was in full control. As I said, the last message, this was not a weak, dying man breathing his last, defeated, burnt out, worn out. No, this was a man in full faculty. This was a man crying with a loud voice that everyone could hear. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. For this past 24 hours, from that moment when he was betrayed in the garden, when the soldiers came to arrest him, in the last 24 hours, he's been in the hands of men, cruel, wicked, evil hands. Matthew 17, 22 and 23. Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Matthew 26, 45. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, this was in the Gethsemane, are you sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Acts 2, 23. Peter says, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. And so for a period of 24 hours, he was in the hands of wicked men. But now he's no longer in the hands of men. Now he's at the Father's right hand, Hallelujah. and he's ruling and reigning Amen. on our behalf. <coughs> one day he was in the hands of men, but one day all men will be in his hands. Yes. One day, day they says, away with him. But one day he will say, depart from me. It was a voluntary word. Now all that Christ was left to do was to die. Literally, actually die. Imagine the son of the living God. God made flesh. The one according to the Hebrews who created everything 
and without him was nothing made that was made. And here he is, Emmanuel, the one that's God with us, and he's literally actually dying for us. He's about to taste death for every man, as the writer to the Hebrews so eloquently put it. To taste death for every man. Jesus had to die for us. His miraculous birth was not enough to save us. The miracles that he did was not enough to save us. The wonderful teaching and preaching and parables and messages he brought was not enough to save us. His perfect life on this earth was not enough to save us. He had to die and rise again to save us. This was in the plan of God right from the very beginning. Why? Because blood had to be shed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, the Bible says. And all throughout the Old Testament, it was those animals, blood was shed. An innocent life for a guilty life. But none of that took away our sins. But Christ came to give his own life for us. And he had to actually, literally die. In Luke chapter 24, in verse 13, this was after the resurrection when he was on the road to Emmaus and he met those two disciples. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things that, which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And the one whose name was Cleophas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things that happened here in these days? He said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who would, was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. And they came saying they'd also seen a vision of angels and said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't that have been wonderful to be the third person listening to that conversation? When he opened all of the scriptures that he had known all of his life, many of them he learned at his mother's knee. And here he is looking back over every scripture that concerned him, all the prophecies, all those words, hundreds, even a thousand years ago, and every one of them. And he showed these two disciples who 
it was referring to, which of course was uh, himself. He had to die for us. He had to give his life for each of us. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Some of your translations may say, I dismiss my spirit. Some may say, I hand over my spirit to you. Now that lets us know that he was in control, that what he did was voluntary. This was his choice, his decision, his action. He gave up his spirit. John 19.30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he says, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. When the day comes that you and I will pass away, we will have no power to give up our spirit. Our spirit will leave. But we are not in control. We're not, we, it's not our choice. It won't be our decision. It'll be God's. But in Christ's case, everything was under his control. In John chapter 7, remembering that Jesus, brothers and sisters at that point, did not believe in him until after the resurrection. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Jerusalem because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand, and his brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. And so this was just sheer sarcasm, and unbelief and ridicule. And Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come. But your time is always ready. The word cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it, and its works are evil. That its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast. My time has not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said he is good. Others said, No, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters having never studied? Jesus answered and said, My doctrine is not mine but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he will know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who speaks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keep the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered and said to them, 
I did one work and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this, man come, where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him but no one laid a hand of him because his hour had not yet come. See the many times it says that his hour has not yet come, my hour has not yet come, letting us know that everything was under his control. Everything. In Luke 4, so all those in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. But then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. You see, he would not be taken before the time. They wanted to kill him any time, any way, any high. But it wouldn't be one second before he decided. You remember whenever they arrested him in the garden? He says, whom are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. He says, I am he. And when he says, I am that great name of God in the Old Testament, suddenly the power of God flowed from him and all of them, all of those soldiers, they all fell backwards. Such was the power even in speaking that name. Letting them know that they couldn't take him unless and until he gave himself to them. Pilate, when he was questioning him, says, Jesus was answering him nothing. Pilate says, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you or to let you go? Do you not know I have that power? Jesus said, you would have no power at all except it's been given to you. <laughs> In other words, you couldn't lay a finger on me unless you got permission to do it. That was the power of Christ and his ability to be able to control everything. No Old Testament sacrifice ever died willingly. That's why on the brazen altar there was four horns where they tied the sacrifice to it. They could smell death. They could sense what was coming, and they didn't want it. So they were forced into dying. But Jesus gave his life. Yes, technically, his life was taken. Technically. Technically, soldiers arrested him. Soldiers abused him. Soldiers condemned him. Soldiers nailed to him to a cross. Technically, that's true. But none of that could have happened unless he gave his life. Unless he gave his life, they couldn't take his life. 
Augustine said, he gave up his life because he willed it, when he willed it, and as he willed it. Even death itself had to wait until he gave up his spirit. I have power to lay down my life, and I have power to take it up again. No wonder they says no man ever spoke like this man. The scriptures were never far from the lips of Jesus in all of his ministry. And right on the very cross, again and again, he quoted scripture. I thirst, reminds us of Psalm 69. Father, forgive them, reminds us of Isaiah 53 and 12, where he made intercession for the transgressors. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Reminds us of Psalm 22, verse 1. And now, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. This was a cry from David in Psalm 31, verse 5. Jesus was acquainted fully with all of the scriptures. And in great moments like on the cross, he was able to recall them and make them his own. Jesus does something to that scripture that we're not supposed to do. He took away from it and he added to it. And we're not supposed to do that. But he is the word of God made flesh, so he can do that. Because in Psalm 31 verse 5, the psalmist says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. But Jesus says, Father... He adds that father into you. He made it personal for him. Whatever David was going through, Jesus took that and applied it to himself. And of course, David added, you have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. And Jesus took that away because he didn't need redeemed because he was the redeemer. Amen. It was a vital word. He put to an end the reign of the king of terrors. He now holds the keys of death and hell. You know, of the dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of funerals I have conducted over many, many years, there has been occasions when the person was not a believer. And I could offer no hope None. They went into a Christless grave, lost in eternity. So how do you know that? Well, right up to the moment they died, they never showed any repentance, any interest whatsoever, and they're gone. But when the child of God dies, like Mrs. Bloomfield on Tuesday, at her funeral on Friday, we could give great hope. Amen. We have absolute assurance glory. that she's in the glory. Amen. And she's full of vigor and life and health and strength. And she's seen the king in his beauty. Her eyes beheld him. And there's been a great family reunion with her dear husband who died many years ago, with her sisters. See, this is the great hope that the believers got that Christ has made for us. Because death, even though there will be physical death, 
Yet because we have spiritual life, it overcomes even that physical death. And it holds no terror for us. The king of terrors has been defeated. Amen. And so believer, when the day comes or the hour comes for us to leave this scene of time, God will send his holy angels to escort you into the very presence of Almighty God. What a message is the gospel. What a message of hope. In John 11, 25, 26, Jesus said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. Live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die eternally. That means. Do you believe this? He said to Martha. In Matthew 27, 51 to 53, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming up out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. It's not my message really because I've been speaking of the last words of Christ on the cross, but just as an aside, can you imagine this was Passover and in all probability <coughs> Caiaphas the high priest was officiating. And in all probability when that veil of the temple was torn and he would be standing right there. Can you imagine what he must have felt? when that massive veil was torn by invisible hands from top to bottom, it must have struck terror into his heart. He was the one, he was the one who just hours before had prosecuted Jesus, had demanded his death. And suddenly, supernaturally, this great thick veil was torn in two which is a, a type of the body of Christ being torn, that we may enter into the holiest of holies. Hmm. Apostle Paul said that when the believer dies in Christ, it's absent from the body, it's present with the Lord. There is a moment, there is an instant, there is a moment in time when that takes place. We don't know how, it's supernatural, but in that moment when that person breathes their last breath on earth, and as I said at Mrs. Blimfield's graveside, on Tuesday night at 7.30, when she breathed her last, <laughs> what a moment that must have been. Her angelic escort was waiting to take her home. And she went from mortality to immortality. She went from the land of the dying into the land of the living. She went from being weak and frail to being strong and vigorous. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. All of that happened because Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior, gave his life on the cross for us. It was a vicarious word. He didn't do it for himself. He didn't need to. He did it for others. He did it for you and he did it for me. 
He took our place. Hebrews 2 and 9. He tasted death for every man. It was Passover. <coughs> Priests in the temple were offering the blood of thousands of Paschal lambs. Actually, the number slain on that Passover would astound you. Josephus, the Jew historian, he said that Cestius, in order to give Nero some idea of the power of the city of Jerusalem, had asked the chief priest to count the number of Paschal lambs offered at the Passover and found that there was no less than 256,500. But all, all the blood of all of those lambs and all of the goats and all of the bullocks, all of that could not wash away one single sin. It covered it for another year, but couldn't wash it away. But outside the city walls, on a cross, was the Lamb of God. Amen. And one drop of his blood could wash away the sins of the whole world. Do you remember how that Mary Magdalene, who loved him so much, how in the, at the tomb that morning, early that morning when it was still dark, she went to, to where his body was and the tomb was opened. He was not there. And the voice behind says, whom are you seeking? she was seeking Christ she didn't recognize that moment in her tears being distraught being dark she thought it was the gardener it says but then Jesus said her name Mary and when he says Mary nobody ever spoke her name like Jesus Mary <laughs> and then she instantly recognized it was the Lord and in her, in her natural feeling of love and adoration she fell at his feet to grab him he says don't touch me don't touch me I haven't yet ascended to the father don't touch me see the priest on taking the blood of the sacrifice into the holiest of holies nobody could touch him till that was accomplished and it was reckoned that Jesus was taken of his blood to the true holiest of holies to sprinkle the true altar of God in Hebrews chapter 7 and we'll soon be finished verse 22 of Hebrews 7 by so much more Jesus has become a surety or a guarantee of a better covenant also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save to the uttermost. Somebody says from the guttermost to the uttermost. Every sin that we have ever committed he can wash away and make us clean. 
For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Glory to God. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. In chapter 9, verse 25. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have to offer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for man to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And then just a few more verses in chapter 10. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things can never with these same sacrifices which they continually offer year by year make those who, who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Therefore when he came into the world he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book that is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standing ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Glory to God. What a Savior. What a wonderful work he did on that cross. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he was given to having bouts of depression. At times he felt really, really low. And one of those periods, he seemed to see a malignant form inscribing on his walls all the transgressions he ever committed. All his sins, all his evil deeds, his sins of commission, his sins of omission, his secret sins, his open sins, seems to be no end of them. And he bowed his head in prayer. And he opened his eyes again, and that malignant evil form was looking right at him. And he said, you have forgotten one thing, he said to that evil spirit. And what is that, said his tormentor. He said, take your pen 
and write over all of my sins. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. Glory to God. (laughs) That's the finished work of Christ. That's what it does. And so Jesus breathed his last. Did you notice it says he bowed his head? Then he gave up his spirit. Normally, the spirit leaves the body, and then the head is bowed. Most people, when they're dying, there's that final moment. Sometimes they try to get a final breath, and then it's gone. But Jesus bowed his head first, then he gave up his spirit as if he was resting on that cross. It's done. It's over. It's finished. I've commended my spirit to God. I've dismissed it. (laughs) What a wonderful Savior this morning, amen? What a precious Lord we have got. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know him and to serve him and to live for him? What else would you live for in this world? Most of us have tried it, and it didn't work. It didn't satisfy. It didn't fulfill. But when you give your life to Christ, you have something to live for, for not only time, but for all eternity. Glory to God. So I would encourage you today, if you're not saved, if you're not born again, give your life to Jesus today. Why would you wait? Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, today, if he's knocking at your heart's door, open the door, let him in, give your life to him. It'll it'll be changed forever. Glory to God. Look at what he's done for you. He couldn't do anything more than give his life for you. This is the son of God giving his life for you and for me. What a savior, amen? Let's pray. Could it be this morning, while we're praying, could it be that maybe you're here today and you've never actually received Christ as your Savior? You know about him, you've heard about him, you've read about him, you've maybe even sang about him, but you've never personally owned him as your Lord and Savior. Today, if you hear his voice, Today is the day of salvation. It's the only time we have got is right now. We can't guarantee another minute. So I ask you, before we break bread here, in these quiet moments, if you would want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm not going to ask you to come up to the front. All I would ask you to do is signify just right where you are. In a moment, I'd ask you to put up your hand. And I'll pray a prayer. And you can join me in the prayer. And know Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I tell you, you go out of that door different than you came in. Your life could be changed forever. If you've drifted away from the Lord, no better time to come to him than right now. Father welcomes the prodigals back because he loves them. And so, do you want to do that? 
Are you ready right now to give your life to Christ? If you are, just slip up your hand. Put it down again. That will let me know. And we'll pray a simple prayer to invite Christ to come into your life. So if that's you this morning, I know sometimes there's a struggle that goes on in the heart. There wasn't my heart. But I'm glad that I gave my life over to him. That's why I'm here today. So one more time before we move on. If you want Christ as your Lord and Savior today, you want to return to him, whatever, put up your hand, let me pray, and then we'll move on. Lord, we have taken these few moments to make an invitation. We pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit that you will touch every heart. You love us so much that you gave your only begotten Son for us. And so we give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.